Welcome to the SciDef Cybersecurity Podcast. I'm your host, Raymond Evans, and this is my co-host, Michael Fairweather. We're here to provide you with the cybersecurity news that matters to help you in the cyber realm. We are proud members of the Pod Bros Podcast Network. Check them out at podbros.com. Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome to the SciDef Cybersecurity Podcast. This is minicast number eight, it would be for us. Um, this is the first minicast of the new year, being recorded in the new year. We did have a minicast released in the new year, but we're not going to count that as the, the uh, first of the year. <laughs> <laughs> How have not- things uh, been, Mike, since the last time we talked? Pretty good, pretty good. It's been what two weeks now? Yeah, yeah, about that. You know, we gotta keep up that two week schedule because for a while there we were, you know, two months at a time um, because of difficulties at work and whatnot. Yeah, that'll happen. But definitely getting better on a getting back on a better schedule now, which is nice. We're, we're purchasing some of those uh, those like satellite cell phones that we can use to just communicate and do the podcast, right? Hey, I, I'm I'm down. Let's do it. <laughs> we have some uh, some awesome stories to talk about this week. It's just going to be two stories this week. The first story that that we're going to talk about is actually going to be Mike's story. Mike, why don't you tell us what you're, what you're going to be talking about? Uh, yeah. So this week, actually, um, we've been talking about Microsoft and the Windows 10 product and the privacy issues that have come from it. Um, well, this week, Microsoft actually launched a privacy dashboard. Um, to kind of help with those settings and um, maybe alleviate some of the fears. We're not sure, but we'll uh, we'll dive into that today. That would be a good story. There's been a a lot of discussion around Microsoft and the privacy issues that that have come with this newest iteration of Windows. So that would be a a good discussion. Too bad we don't have uh, one of our, our guests on that, you know, really love privacy topics, but, you know, say la vie. Maybe next time. Maybe. Uh, and then my story that we're going to be talking about is MongoDB. It, they had some trouble this this past week. There was a little bit of a, a breach, just a little breach. Uh, and we're going to be talking about that little breach. <laughs> so we're going to kick things off by uh, having Mike here talk about his story first. So why don't you tell us about that, that Microsoft story, Mike? Absolutely. Like I said, uh, Microsoft just released a new web-based dashboard for its users. It's the privacy dashboard, and um, basically it's a, it's a website that they've created. Um, you log into it with your Windows account, your email address, password, you know, username, whatever they've got with that. Um, it actually allows users to view and control all of the data Microsoft has collected about your activity. Um, so location, your search his, history, uh, browsing details, um, Cortana data that's been accessed, um, you know, uh, across multiple Microsoft services. Basically, it's a response from Microsoft to the many, many user complaints and requests for increased visibility and a better way to manage uh, the data that has been collected by Microsoft services. 
with the announcement of the new uh, privacy dashboard. They've also announced new changes to Windows 10 privacy features um, that will be coming down the line. They haven't enacted those yet, um, but should be very similar to the dashboard as well as being able to opt out of more stuff a lot easier than it has been. Now, we've seen Microsoft do these kind of things before. They've pushed and said, hey, just do X, Y, Z, and you know we won't be aggregating your data anymore. But then people go ahead and watch their network traffic, and they still see data being aggregated from Microsoft. Yeah. Um, does this story go in depth as to how much control the dashboard gives individuals? Uh, what exactly it allows individuals to turn on and off? Um, so what I've seen, I actually uh, was using it yesterday just to see what had been collected on me. But since I don't really use Microsoft products, I didn't have anything to, to delete or to manage, which was nice. But it did have, like like I said, it did have location stuff on there. So if you're using, you know, your Windows 10 machine, and I'm guessing if you don't have location services turned off, um, it would show you, you know, your locations of where the device was any kind of input as far as maps so places that you're going to or traveling to or traveling from it would have that information in there as well um your search histories different items like that and you had the ability to at least delete them um now i'm wondering if you could turn it off entirely yeah that's my big question is is it able to be turned off and if it's not able to be turned off um, how often is that kind of data backed up by Microsoft, you know. Sure, right. sure you can go in and delete it, but that data is being aggregated to be used for something, right? So how often is that data being used? Is it being looked at hourly? Is it being looked at daily, weekly? How often do I have to go in and delete this data so that way they're not prying into what I'm doing? That's, that's my big question for them. No, absolutely. Um, so I'm I'm on the the dashboard now, looking at it. So under your privacy, I've got clearing browsing history. Um, it says you know their most recent data might not be available yet, but then there's a little uh, note at the bottom saying we don't have any data associated with this Microsoft account at the moment. Basically, meaning they haven't collected anything on me because I don't use um, their stuff. So um, that's, that's but interesting you- to me. So. Essentially, that dashboard is presenting data that's already been looked through. That's what I would think about that because it says that that you said that it says um, uh, the newest data might not be available yet. Yeah. So what's what is happening to that data before it reaches that dashboard? No, that I do not know. That is my question for Microsoft here because sure you can erase the data. But what's that data being put through? Is it being uh, ran through different parsing tools to look for keywords? Is it being backed up? Is it being sent to third-party individuals? What's going on there? Right. That, that's, that's my question. If anybody from Microsoft is listening, answer that for us. Yeah, <clears throat> definitely a good thing to know. So I will say that at the bottom there's a, there's some links down here that say, like, how do I... Um, one of them is clear the browsing history from my device, which you can, you're can you basically doing from the dashboard. You can do the same thing from your device. Um, but there's a stop Microsoft Edge from saving my browsing history to the cloud. Um, so that's 
a simple thing of going to selecting menu from Edge, going to notebook permissions, uh, turn off browsing history. Uh, so that actually would, it seems like that would stop at least browsing history, much like, um, you know, kind of incognito mode uh, stops browsing history from being saved. Um, but you've also got the location activity here. So um, it's view and clear location activity, and you've also got learn more about changing the location settings on your Windows device. Let me pull that up real quick and see what that's got. Okay. Location settings work. First time an app's used, the Windows location service needs your device location or location history. It requests your permission. If you give the app permission, but you change your mind later, you can turn off that app's access on your device location to your device location and settings privacy location. Location history is anything that you've given the app permission to use. Um, it says uh, when location setting is on, locations looked up by apps or services will be stored on the device for a limited time, 24 hours in Windows 10, then deleted. And apps that have access to this info will be labeled uses location history on the location settings page. So at one point, they were actually monitoring um, how often an app was used and for how long <clears throat> an application was used. Uh, I'm wondering if they're aggregating that data. Did you see any any hints of that at all in the, in the options? I haven't seen any of that yet. <clears throat> that was a, a really interesting point of data aggregation that, that I um, had noticed a while ago and I was always curious as to why they were doing that. Um, I would assume it's for user trends or for targeted marketing and things like that. Yeah, I mean, that's what a lot of it comes down to. It's it's targeted marketing, and then you've also got the you know they they say you know they need access to that kind of stuff so that they can better fix their apps, make sure that everything's working properly, and fix any bugs that are going on, which which is true. But at the same time, you're also basically telling a company where you are at all times yeah so, i'm not I, comfortable with that no i'm not either and i'm i'm now i'm also not comfortable with my uh my children's apps you know giving away that kind of information as well because a company really doesn't need to know your your pinpoint location at all times they yeah. just don't and that's frankly uh data that if fall if it falls into the wrong hands can be used against you Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, for all of our viewers out there, all, all three of the viewers, if you have any questions whatsoever, you can toss them into the chat, and we will be more than happy to answer any cybersecurity questions. And also give a shout-out to my, my pops who wanted to watch our episode tonight. So, hi, Dad. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> And also, uh, another quick message for all of our uh, listeners and viewers before we hop into the next story. Uh, we do have a, a monthly cybersecurity puzzle on our website, and uh, nobody has solved this month's puzzle yet. It's a programming puzzle, and I was very surprised that nobody has solved it yet. So, coding challenge for everybody out there who's listening. Check it out at sidef.com. Uh, and you'll see the link at the top of our page, Monthly Puzzle. Number four. Yes, it is Monthly Puzzle number four. And we will keep up these challenges. And if you uh, put, if you submit and you have a correct answer, then you will be put up on our scoreboard and you will get bragging rights. Woo! <laughs> Which are the best kind of rights? 
in the hacker and cybersecurity community, those kind of rights actually tend to be the best kind of rights. I can't tell you how many conventions I've gone to, and it's just a brag fest left and right. Yeah. Yeah. But but people like Stacey Banks would say otherwise. All right, so we're going to move on to our next story. We're going to move away from Microsoft and the privacy dashboard because, to be honest, there's a lot of speculation we can do there. Uh, we could talk for hours about what ifs and you know what they may or may not be doing with the data. Uh, so we're going to move into an, another story here. So MongoDB had a, a pretty big breach over uh, the, the past week. Somewhere around 27,000 MongoDB databases were held for ransom within a week. Yeah. This is crazy. It, it is. It is really crazy. And uh, we'll, we'll get to the even crazier part of, of this story. But uh, a hacker going by the handle of Harakiri... Harakiri. Uh, it's spelled with eyes because, you know, elite speak. We are hackers, so, you know, we got to be elite. So, Harakiri. Harakiri. It's such an odd name to say. Well, you got to pronounce the one, right? <laughs> Harak1R1. There we yes. go. Uh, has been accessing, copying, and deleting unpatched or badly configured MongoDB databases. So it wasn't some big vulnerability or flaw. Uh, MongoDB has had some vulnerabilities in the past year that they've had to fix. But this time, the vulnerability is one of the biggest vulnerabilities in cybersecurity, and that would be the human element. We always talk about how Individuals are the most vulnerable part of any network, and this Mongo DB, excuse me, got a very dry throat tonight. So we always say that individuals are the biggest vulnerability, and apparently, admins have been the the biggest vulnerability of the individuals in the company uh, this time. So <clears throat> it all started on Monday. When a uh, security researcher of the, whose name is Victor Jivers identified nearly 200 instances of a MongoDB installation that had been erased and held for ransomware. And as we all know, well, sorry, not ransomware, they had been erased and held for ransom. They didn't have to use ransomware here because it was just poorly configured so the hacker was able to get in and just encrypt the the stuff rather than using a piece of ransomware to do it for them. Uh, So the hacker was asking for money. uh, About one Bitcoin was being asked at that time. Sorry, no, initially 0.2 Bitcoins was being asked. And then by Tuesday, it was 2,000 databases uh, that was reported by the founder of Shodan. And then by Friday, the count was up to 10,500. And now current current stats uh, as of January 9th was 27,000. And so initially, as we said before, they were asking for 0.2 Bitcoins, which is about $184. And 
as time went on, the hacker started asking for one Bitcoin, which is now sitting at about $906. By the way, have you seen Bitcoin's actually been going up in uh, value? There was like a little spike a little bit ago. I have not seen that. Yeah. So people are... Uh... If you uh, had some Bitcoin, you know, it was a, a good week for you last week because I, I believe your prices went up. Let's look at the current price of Bitcoin. Oh, it is currently down to $828 per Bitcoin. Well, there you go. I believe it was up a little bit ago. But anyway. That just, that just means they're going to be asking for two Bitcoins next yeah, week. Yeah, yeah, they will. They're going to make up for the loss. Uh, the researchers did, uh, however, log 15 distinct attackers, which were gone by um, various handles. And one of the, the hackers, Kraken Zero, actually compromised 15,000 of the databases and was demanding what Bitcoin, one Bitcoin uh, to return the lost data. Although it appears nobody's paid that hacker that one Bitcoin. Because hopefully they did the smart thing and did what, Michael? Had a backup and then just like reloaded and reconfigured. Yep. That's what they should have done. You should always back up your stuff. If you don't want your stuff held for ransom, keep it backed up. We talk about this every week. These admins, yeah. we just got to send emails to all these admins and be like, dudes, listen to our podcast. Yeah. These are my backups. These are two of three backups. So apparently the Shodan did a – you can do a Shodan search for these vulnerable database – well, misconfigured databases. And it shows more than 99,000 vulnerable MongoDB instances. Jeez. <clears throat> yeah. So that's a, that's a pretty big admin fail. Yeah, that's huge. How huge? It's going to be huge. Huge. <laughs> So, what can users do to protect themselves? Build a data wall. Build a data wall? <laughs> yes. Yes, they, they can build a data wall. Or uh, enable authentication, getting that defense in depth. Yeah, um, that too. Actually, more that than what I said. Update your MongoDB software to the newest release. Use some firewalls as well. That defense in depth practice will save you in the long run. Adding layers of authentication, using robust security practices will will help you out. Yeah, and, and I think one of the biggest things, especially in this situation, um, is if you're going to have an admin account, which you should, um, actually have it with a password. The um, Every single uh, Mongo database server that was hit um, did had an admin account without a password. It's so bad. That that's it's worse than having one, two, three, four, five, six, or any combination of anything like that. It that's it, it's it's worse than having admin admin. I mean, which is the absolute default. Yeah, I, I don't know why anybody would ever set up something like that and not create a a password to protect it. Yeah. I mean, is that is that even an option? Apparently so, because people have been doing it. I know, but like, is that the, is, is no admin password the default op? I guess that's what I'm getting at. Is it the default option to not have an admin password? Uh, that's a good question. 
I really want to set up a Mongo uh, DB database now. <laughs> Just have nothing on it, so if they still stuff, it's okay. Exactly. This ransoming of data is getting really, really out of hand. Um, in fact, just recently, uh, a Los Angeles college had paid a hackers $28,000 in ransom to get its files back. Jeez. Yeah. We keep telling people to, to back up their stuff, and we tell people to back up their stuff for a good reason. Because if you become a, a victim of this ransom, either you don't set up a password and somebody gets in and encrypts your stuff, or... You accidentally download a piece of ransomware, or somebody on your network accidentally downloads a piece of ransomware. All you have to do is restore from your backups, and you're good to go. Yeah. Instead, uh, people like the Los Angeles Community College District do things like pay twenty-eight thousand dollars in Bitcoin, so that way they can get their their data back from these attackers. That's crazy. So I did just look. Mongo database um, does start without access control. It does. It All does. Right. Default has no enabled access control, so there's no default user or password. Wow. Yeah. I would say <laughs> the problem there is MongoDB having that as their default configuration. Yep. Um, and instead of forcing users to create a password. <clears throat> and... Also, uh, a lack of training on the individuals who are actually setting up the databases. That or a lack of caring on their part. Because, let's be honest, a lot of people in the IT world uh, get so disgruntled that sometimes they do things uh, because they just don't care. I, I would say I would say this, that obviously Mongo Database should, have, should change that. Um, there should be a default... Username, and then you have to be forced to change or to create a password for that account. But at the same time, if you're going to use a product, you should understand, especially for like a business or something, you should understand how it's being used or how it works before setting it up and, you know, going live with it. If you don't know that there's not a, that the, the username, that there's not a username or password for admin, or that when you create an admin account, there's not a password for it, you should... You should understand that before you go live. So that's a that's definitely a problem with the end user as well. It, it, overall, your your you know software developer as well as your your end user need to be educated on that. Oh, most definitely. So back to that uh, Los Angeles story a little bit. How their ransom, what their ransomware did was it actually locked out um, one thousand eight hundred students and staff members from their computers which um, caused widespread disruption to online, financial aid, email, and voicemail systems. How crazy is that? That's insane. Yeah. And I don't know if you've seen uh, the Kill Disk ransomware that's been going around recently, but the Kill Disk ransomware is actually targeting Linux machines. Lovely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, that, that is a rare piece of malware. Because you don't see a whole lot of malware that is specifically targeting Linux machines. Uh, people are more inclined to write pieces of malware that uh, target Windows machines because of how widespread Windows machines are. Yeah. Um, but the Kildisk ransomware actually demands $218,000 to decrypt. 
$218,000 to decrypt yeah. and possibly never get the decryption key because let's be honest, some hackers do that or back up my data and spend a couple hours restoring from that backup data, uh, that backup point. Yeah. That, Which that one would you prefer? Oh, I prefer the backup because the you're talking about breaking, you know, the keys. Um, that kill disk uh, works by encrypting each file with an AES-256 key and then encrypting the AES keys with a public RSA-1028 key. The amount of time needed for that is just, you're done. I, I hope you didn't have anything important saved on there. You, you would, you would, I agree, you would be done. So in other news, did you hear Netgear is uh, launching a bug bounty program for hackers? I hadn't seen that, no. Yeah, they are offering up to $15,000 in rewards for hackers. Ooh. Yeah. So if you're a bug bounty uh, junkie out there, Netgear is uh, is offering up to $15,000. In order to get that $15,000, though, uh, the expected outcome is unauthorized access to Netgear cloud storage video files for all customers. So it's very specific for the 15. Um, or unauthorized access to live video feeds of all Netgear customers or remote unauthorized access to administrator to administer another Netgear customer's router via the publicly accessible internet. So in order to get 15,000, you need to be able to do those three things. Then it drops down to 10,000 where they say, um, you know, access to a single video feed, a single cloud storage um, video files or um, retrieve all customers payment information and it keeps stepping down from there um, to the point where it's um, they have a $150 reward for open redirection sounds like it would be some fun yeah so um, this was announced um, earlier this month uh, around the 6th it was announced. You guys can check that out. We'll put a link to that in our show notes as well. I, I think that Netgear is probably doing this bug bounty because of all the vulnerabilities that we've seen in Internet of Thing devices lately. Um, I think they're trying to jump on beating that, possibly. What do you think, Mike? Yeah. Well, and if that's what they're doing, then that's then kudos to them for... Uh, trying to think out the, outside the box a little bit and actually have some outside help with this. Because $15,000 is a lot cheaper to have somebody go through and take the time to do it uh, personally than to pay programmers to uh, sit down and this also bugs. This also might have something to do with the lawsuit against D-Link. So oh. on the same day that Netgear um, released this bug bounty program, the Federal Trade Commission filed a lawsuit against D-Link um, because of the because uh, the company because the company failed to implement uh, necessary security protection in its routers and internet uh, connected security cameras. <laughs> so that could be another big reason uh, for doing this. Hey, let's not be like D-Link, right? Let's let's fix this. Let's have. Let's pay the hackers to break our stuff rather than paying the FTC for us not fixing anything. Yeah. Well, and if the if the if the, if the FTC comes to them, they can say, "Hey, look, you know, we're we're we've got this taken care of. We're working on it." 
we are actively pursuing some method of uh, of ensuring security in our products. They can say absolutely, absolutely. Um, there was a, a piece of ransomware that also went around recently that I find very humorous. Um, this piece of ransomware is dubbed Kulova. Kulova. I don't know if you saw this, Mike. I don't even know how you would spell that. K O O L O V A. Kulovo. Here, I'll, I'll post it in the in the the chat there. There we go. Kulovo. Is that is that how you say it properly? <laughs> it doesn't have the um, the dictionary. This is how you pronounce the thing at the or right after it. So I have no clue. No. no. So. Kulova. Yeah. Cooled over. <laughs> <laughs> so, this was discovered by security researcher Michael Gillespie. 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 I'm so terrible with names. I'm just the worst. And we then, have picked some great stuff today. We we really have for names. Um, and it was reported by Bleeping Computer. Now, the reason why I like Cool Ova so much is because. After this piece of ransomware infects you, thank you, uh, Alan M87. That, that, that's a good one there. He says, uh, "Say it faster, like the like the Kool Aid guy." Kulova. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so after this ransomware hits you and infects you, it makes you read cybersecurity awareness articles about avoiding the ransomware infection. That's amazing. And then it unlocks, it, it decrypts your stuff afterwards. Oh, well, that's good. I mean, it sucks you get hit by ransomware, but you're at least learning. <laughs> so it hits you, right? Decrypts the stuff, and then it creates a pop-up. And the pop-up is a warning screen where the text tells the victim to open and read two articles before they can get the ransomware decryption key. If the victim is too lazy to read both articles, Kulovo uh, <laughs> starts a countdown, and if it gets to zero, the ransomware will um, delete the encrypted files, like the jigsaw malware. Wow. Yeah. So hopefully people aren't lazy and just don't read. Well, hopefully people uh, have their stuff configured so they don't have get ransomware, and if they do, then they've got backups. But So after the individuals read both articles... Um, I would actually like to see this piece of malware and actually break down the code and see exactly how it, it understands that an individual has read the articles um, because I'm kind of curious about that. But after it's been satisfied that you've read both articles, a button that says decrypt my files becomes available and after that button's clicked on, Kulava will connect to a command and control server and retrieve the decryption key. Gotcha. You know how I think they uh, figure it out? How's that? They use the Microsoft uh, trackers from the earlier conversation. Oh, those things that I said, hey, this could possibly be used against you? Exactly. Mm. <laughs> That's real interesting. I'm really happy I, I don't use Microsoft products. Just just brought it full circle. It did. Bringing it round town. <laughs> like SpongeBob SquarePants. I never watched that. 
You make me sad, good sir, Knight. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this is a mini cast, so we're going to wrap this episode up here. Um, so today we, we talked about MongoDB database being held for ransom. And then after that, we talked about a whole bunch of different ransomware attacks over um, the past year and past month, actually. God, that was a lot in the, the past month. The Kulovo, the MongoDB, um, the Los Angeles College. People have, people have been busy. People, people are busy. That ransom industry is money. Yeah. That's... So it's so sad, and you know we keep saying it, and we're gonna keep saying it, and we're probably gonna say it every single episode because it needs said. You know, I'm I'm gonna actually go on to uh, Shodan, look at all those MongoDB databases that pop up as being vulnerable, find the admin passwords, not passwords, uh, find the admin email addresses of who's administering those servers, just send them all emails saying here listen to our podcast <laughs> be like hey we talked about you specifically it's like yeah we see you're vulnerable still listen to us please yeah here's a link click it because because if they haven't set up a password they'll probably click any link you send them uh and after uh before that we had discussed microsoft and uh do you have any any uh, key items from that that microsoft article you want to talk about again or reiterate mike yeah absolutely so if you uh you know you do use windows products um especially windows 10 don't <laughs> that too but like you know xbox I, I have an xbox but i have all the this stuff turned off um you know any any kind of Windows product that you use that you sign in, um, one username across the board. Um, definitely check out that that dashboard. Make sure that um, you know nothing's being saved to the cloud. Um, nothing's you're not seeing anything accessible through that website. And if you are, then take a look and try and make sure to uh, turn off those settings. Uh, it's keep yourself safe. You know, make sure your stuff is secure. Most definitely. All right. Follow us on Twitter at, uh, at C-Y-D-E-F-E. This will be put up onto our website um, within the next couple of days. So you can check out the podcast there. It will be edited. Um, and we will have links to all of our articles that we've covered in the show notes. Um, and also, hey, check out our monthly puzzle. See if you can solve it. Absolutely. Get yeah. your name on that scoreboard. I was your awesome host this week, Raymond Evans, and he was my. I, I can't even come up with uh, any other fake words at this point. He, he's my fantabulous co host, Michael Fairweather. Stay safe, keep your network safe, and have a week. Have a week. Cybersecurity training has traditionally been really expensive and therefore too hard to come by for many people. The result of super high-priced training is a skill gap that has left the industry with over 1 million unfilled jobs, which is crazy. But CyberAware is working to change that. The cybersecurity training revolution has begun. Get free training courses and find jobs in the field at CyberAware.it. Employers looking for cybersecurity talent can also post jobs there. So again, free cybersecurity training and jobs at CyberAware.